Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome to yet another lovely, very special episode of the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, as always, is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hey, Joe. How's it going, buddy? I've been using the very special uh, intro to Lines Led by Donkeys, and I'm starting to feel like I'm writing a sitcom from the 90s. Uh, This is the one where I, I boof heroin, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, you have to oh, boof heroin wow. so we could show the importance of using needles. Um, I, I, it's been a while, but I bet <laughs> I can, I can stretch that old pucker out. Remember, kids, only boof heroin from your most trusted drug dealers, um, or whoever. A guy or, named a guy named Curtis is probably fine. Or, or whoever, just boof strange things that you buy off street corners. People don't buy drugs from street corners anymore. You got a guy. Uh, I first of all, I live in Philly, where yes, we do. Uh, we we have <laughs> we have the largest open uh, air heroin market in the United States, man. Congratulations on having Thank the Bacara Mart uh, market of American heroin. Thank it's, you. It's truly great. Now, speaking of open air heroin markets actually that will end up being on subject in a little bit somehow nice. somehow I, I did it <laughs> uh somehow that is the case now for i think the first time in the history of this podcast we are going to be talking about the russian civil war uh, but not that Thank side you. of it sorry <laughs> didn't want to get everybody's hopes up didn't want to get everybody's hopes up. We are not talking about the Bolshevik side of the Russian Civil War, though. Obviously, we do have to touch on it, right? Um, now we, we could just never acknowledge it, which would at least be funny. Yeah, would get real mad at us in the comments. Would it be funny? Actually, don't acknowledge its existence. Um, no, uh, the reason why is because it's it's fucking complex. Um, also, as everybody's aware, I generally try not to touch on things that people have already talked about. Mike Duncan over on the Revolutions podcast has done. A fucking incredible series on the Russian Civil War and the Revolution that is, I think, like two years long. I don't know. I'm not going to top that. I'm not going to fucking try. Uh, But so here's the too long, didn't read version of the Russian Civil War in order to get into it. When we talk about the Russian Civil War, we jump into a swirling mass of warlords and revolutionaries and people who desperately want to build their personal politics on events that occurred before most people had electricity. Now, it was a time of horrible monsters, obscene violence, and it, for some people, it was uh, the, the right environment to make it possible for some of the weirdest fucking people in history to flourish. Oh, yeah. There are some stories. Uh, obviously, we'll touch on one today, but there are like, 
the uh, the the train we talked about on your uh, guest episode. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, there's, uh, well, there's your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, there's also like the story of like the Allied invasion of <laughs> Archangel, the Czech Legion, all of these little side stories. Oh yeah. Um, but this two-parter, I think, I think we can do this in two parts, um, brings us to one of the most insane people we've probably ever covered and someone that most of you have probably never heard of. And that is Roman von Ungern Sternberg, uh, better known as the bloody white Baron. If I had a guitar solo drop, I would play around. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like this is the name of the name. That sounded like a goat being strangled. Um, Bloody White Baron does sound like some sort of Arkansas sludge metal group. (laughs) (laughs) Some unrecognizable logo and shit. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, Black Dahlia Murder with uh, the words that you can't read. Uh, Also, I love... That's not a dig on Black Dahlia Murder. I actually like them. They're from my hometown. They're really (laughs) fucking good, actually. Um, Now, The most consistent band in metal. Yeah. Uh, and now before we get started, I am going to have to highlight the source I used for this. The book, The Bloody White Baron, the extraordinary story of the Russian nobleman who became the last Khan of Mongolia by what? James Palmer. Palmer. And who really? boy, does that title <laughs> give up a lot of what we're about to talk about. Oh, that's fucking sick. <laughs> um, now, prepare. every once in a while we get a name on this show. It's big name territory. Uh, where you know you just get so many honorifics slapped onto the end, it ends up sounding like kind of like a I don't know a German compound word for bar, probably. Sure. So uh, Count Chocula, uh, <laughs> Baron of Chocolatania. Now this is big name territory, quite possibly one of the biggest we've ever had, and that his full name is Nikolai Robert Maximilian Freiherr von Ungern Sternberg. We're going to call him Roman for short to make my Jesus life easier. Christ. Good for him, man. Now, uh, obviously, two of those are are honorifics, but they're part of his name. He died before all of those were taken away. Um, now, he was born Roman, that is. Remember, Roman is this guy. That's who we're going to be talking about. Was born in Graz, Austria in 1885 to a, a German-Estonian father and a German mother. Now, they were almost immediately divorced uh, because his, his dad was, a, was an alcoholic psychopath uh, and also okay. legendary anti-Semite. Right. Um, this cool. is something that he, nice will, uh, he will pass on to Roman. Uh, um, come on, man. <laughs> oh, to le- there, there's levels of anti-Semitic stuff in, in this series that we're going to talk about that rivals only the episodes where we've talked about Nazis. Um, Thank you, Joe. Thank and you for I, subjecting me to this. And Love if, you too, buddy. If Roman survived to the 30s, he would have been the biggest fan of the Nazis. Um, but this is this is what I wanted to hear on the day I get uh, laid off. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, hey, it could be worse. You could be in Russia in the 1800s. That is true. I'd just get pogromed, and at That's least right. it would be over. Uh, uh, Roman's dad was incredibly anti-Semitic, like I said, and he did his most to pass that on to his child, though his mother would do most of the, the raising. It wouldn't really matter. This anti-Semitic through line would never truly go away. Uh, it is so much so that in, they made an anti-Semitic joke out of their last name. So... <laughs> 
Now, right. the Ungern part of their name uh, meant unwilling or reluctant. And the Sternberg part sounds vaguely Jewish if you're uh, kind of anti-Semitic. Um, he was not Jewish, of course. I, mean, uh, I guess so. There, there, there's a lot of, of, of names that end in Berg that are not Jewish for people who are unaware. Uh, I don't feel like I need to point that out, but I, I, I feel like I do. Yeah, um, you might as well. Yeah. Now, like, I think I've used the term uh, uh, base level anti-Semitic before uh, because this is, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s in right. Germany and, and Eastern Europe. Anti-Semitism is, is, is uh, all of the rage. Something of a national pastime, yeah. Yes. So when I say baseline racism, I mean people just generally believe Jews are evil. Um, Which, you know. Now, the Sternberg family was... Oh boy, way worse than that. Not most families, apparently. Now, the the joke that they made was, if I was a Sternberg, I would be unhappy or unwilling about it too, because because the 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 Erngerd part. Uh, I, okay, that's pretty shitty. But you know, these are not great people. We are going to be talking most about Semitic jokes. Are yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Roman and his family were not Jewish, but they were also not Russian. Though they would make endless claims of relations with Russian nobility over the years, this has actually never been proven. Uh, though they were technically Russian nobility of German birth because they were Baltic German. Um, now, for people unaware, Baltic Germans were the Germans who took over what is effectively today Estonia during Crusades. Um, right. They're they're I don't know colonizers is a good way of putting it. Um, Anyway, the too long didn't read of now there's Baltic Germans. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the, this Baltic German nobility was folded into the Russian uh, nobility sphere due to shifting borders and empire. Uh, and because they were they were good at doing what they did, which was lording over this territory and paying taxes to the people above them. So the, the Russians wow. were kind of like, sure, fine, whatever. We don't care. You're Russian nobility want, yeah. now. Yeah. They kept a lot. Most German uh, Baltic German families kept uh, very, very strong ties to their German identity while being Russian nobles. The the Ungern Sternberg family went the other way. They 100 percent decided they were Russian. Oh, Uh, though, the Russian and German nobility Mm. constantly fucked and intermarried. So there is a possibility that they were related somewhere down the line. Nobody's ever been able to find it. Um, Though this bragging was a bit of a through line of the Ungern Sternberg family, like what a thing to brag about, too. <laughs> like particularly Roman, uh, who look how was, messed up my jawline is. <laughs> I can't eat without assistance, you plebe. <laughs> uh, now this was like Roman was so prideful about his family heritage, he lied about it at an extent that almost bordered on a tick. Um, like he claimed to be related to Mongolian Khans, despite the fact that they were not Mongolian. Um, he claimed that a member of his family had been the court of Ivan the Terrible. Remember, he's not Russian. And even said a member of his family had been on the Ark, as in the one built by Noah and staffed only by his family. Also by Jews. Oh, yeah, also oh, by Jews. Oh, that was us, guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll work for your Ark, but God damn it, I hate you. Uh, I'm only here for the zebras. <laughs> uh, the only thing that he could rightfully claim that he was related to the Habsburgs. So we were right about making fun of his jawline, but yeah, nice. he never did. Instead, he claimed he was related to the Romanovs, that being the, the czar's family of Russia, and decided that he was Russian. There's no evidence he was related to the Romanovs in any way. 
But it, it was the fact that his family leaned so hard on being Russian. We'll talk a little bit. There's a, a weird little thing about that. Um, now, the real reason for this it, at this point of his life is the family had moved back to Estonia where they were nobility uh, and fell under the Russian Empire. Now, at this point yeah. of Russian imperial history and something the Soviets would also later continue to, in my opinion, a much greater extent uh, is that they're very, very big on Russian chauvinism, which is a very, very fancy term for Russian nationalism. Uh, that was you know, forced down the throats of various minorities that fell under the empire and later the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked, I think, on the show about Russianization. Russification? Russification, yeah. yeah Russification, like the, yeah. That's the, like the reason for the, the Pale of Settlements, uh, the right. you know, violence against clergy, destruction of churches. Uh, yeah, it, it happens for decades and decades and decades. <laughs> Now, there's also something here that I really like uh, that I've never seen before called Borderland Syndrome. Um, now, this is coined by a researcher named Isaac Berlin, or sorry, Isaiah Berlin. Um, and he believes that there's some kind of insecurity based on that comes from being on the fringes of a powerful empire that breeds a kind of pathologically intense attachment to the daddy in this imperial relationship. Um, now, for example, Ungern Sternberg is German. But he's a Baltic German, so he's on the fringes of the Russian Empire. Napoleon was born in Corsica. Um, Now, he was only French by a legal technicality. If he had been born a couple of years earlier, he would have been Italian. Um, And he was bullied for having a Corsican accent all the way until bullying kind of got you the wall. Uh, There's also Joseph Stalin, who was not Russian. He was Georgian and changed his name on purpose and had a speech coach to get rid of his accent. Um, And obviously... Hitler, famously not German. Uh, he was Austrian. <laughs> so like, there's a, there's a lot of these cases throughout history. Obviously, some being significantly more intense than others. Sure. That's interesting. I had never heard that, obviously. I, I was unfamiliar with it. Um, now, because of this attitude, Roman and his family were deathly loyal to the Russian Tsar. They also happened to be legitimately related to those German crusading knights that had carved out Estonia. So they were like seriously old money and nobility. Um, Now, they were like one of the older money families of the Baltic Germans. Not the most powerful, but certainly like, I don't know, they fucked the the oldest, right. Yeah. They had, you know, planted their seeds of cash and siege, I assume. Just an absolute obscene amount of money. (laughs) Uh, Now, despite the little fact that, now remember, Estonia is uh, mostly populated by Slavs, you know, Estonians. Um, however, these Baltic Germans do not like them, and the future, the feeling is very mutual. Uh, they see like Slavs, they see the local Estonians. Grant, this is not Estonia yet, that has not been created, but um, there's a deep fucking racism between the lording Baltic Germans who consider the, the local Estonian people to be quite literally subhuman. Um, and this is German to do that. There's also something weird here uh, because the Russian nobility also felt the same way, even though they were Russian. Ethnically, they're very similar. So they believe that their elevated noble standing meant that they were a different race, which is just a god tier amount of gymnastics to get around racism, right? You know, why not? (laughs) Now, this huge divide between the Baltic Germans and the Estonians began as soon as settlement occurred. Um, and it was very much still there um, when during Romans times, there were strict social lines dominated by Germans over the Slavs. And they literally went all the way down to the justice system. 
And this might surprise you. This was very unequal. <laughs> no, no, I'm not surprised. Like one of the things, <laughs> like if, if uh, an Estonian, I'm using that term to tell the, the locals, uh, even though I know, like I already said, Estonia doesn't exist yet. But the Estonians would like, uh, if they were to accuse a Russian of something in court uh, or a German uh, in court, they would have to bring like three people to equal one noble. All right, uh, that's fucked up but yeah and it would never work out anyway because they're like yeah but i'm a baron they're like ah yes good point you win sir now (laughs) yeah now as you can imagine roman believed that this is the natural order of things this is the way things were supposed to be there was supposed to be nobility ruling over peasants and any deviation from that was like spitting in the face of god even though he was not i mean he was a protestant um yeah but uh, he was never truly very religious. That will change, kind of. It's weird. Oh, um, oh boy. Now, obviously, as you can imagine, the Russian nobility had no problems with this, uh, even though like, it was even more racist in Estonia than it was in a lot of other places. They're like, yeah, but they're nobles. They didn't really care. Um, and Roman was very obsessed with family history. He proudly declared that when asked about the Ungern Sternberg service to the Russian imperial throne, he would scream 70 ki- 72 killed during wartime, which meant 72 members of his family had died while fighting for Russia. Sure. There's okay. no proof that that's true, um, though he, that he would tell endless amounts of stories about military heroes that were part of his family that, and he claimed that he was like related to, he was close friends with, including someone, and I do have to say, this is a sick fucking nickname, the brother of Satan. Oh, shit, that's tight. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's, that's tight as shit. That's, that's tight. All we're right. getting a lot of good band names from this episode already. Um, now, there is one story that I prefer that is true that he did not like talking about. Uh, now, this is an, a, a guy who is an Estonian named Otto, uh, same last name, uh, Ungern Sternberg, who would lure ships to the shore with fake lights, pretending to be a lighthouse. So they would crash into the shore, at which point he would murder the crew and steal everything on board. Fucking Uncle Otto, man. You cannot <laughs> leave him alone. Now, uh, uh, the Roman was not fond of telling that story, but that one is literally like part of historical record because he was eventually caught and sentenced to Siberia. Um, Now, (laughs) when Roman did tell this story, Otto was suddenly a romantic privateer under the service of an Indian prince against the British, which he was not. Uh, I don't need to point that one out yet. Yeah. yeah. yeah, All right. That's Uh, amazing. Can you imagine (laughs) that? Like, Hey, yo, I heard your alcohol. (laughs) Like that's your drunk taunt. At the Russian nobility summit or whatever the fuck. <laughs> hey, I, I heard your uncle was uh, kind of a pirate. No, uh, oh, he was a privateer. Uh, yeah, no, that's, I that's what I said. This guy didn't even use a boat. He just used some flashing lights, which admittedly is that's balling on a budget if I've ever heard one. Um, and I do have to say, and so when he got get- crazy uncle Otto's <laughs> discount pirate warehouse. <laughs> now, the best part of the story is when he was sentenced to Siberia. He didn't go to Siberia, not in Roman's mind. Instead, he went to India, uh, where he claimed his grandfather Otto had converted to Buddhism. Now, okay. now this is like the live, laugh, love of weird Imperial Russian pirates, but never happened. This would have been very hard as Buddhism wasn't exactly a huge religion in India at the time. Uh, it's kind of like saying he, he discovered Islam by moving to Indiana. Right. Like 
It's possible, but Isn't unlikely. That's how Nate discovered it. <laughs> yeah, that is that is how uh, uh, Nate reverted. Uh, but <laughs> like like I said, not impossible. Highly unlikely. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, more unlikely because Otto never went to India. He went oh. to fucking Siberia. So right. But this was his gateway into Buddhism. Somehow he he tricked himself into believing that this is true. And I have no doubt that Roman actually believed this happened um, because this started a lifelong obsession with the religion of Buddhism, something that will become way weirder later on. Um, Now, as Roman grew up, there was one thing uh, that was pretty common to uh, every school group that he was ever a part of, every classroom, everything. He was violent as hell. Um, he was a bullying little shit that literally listened to nobody. Cool. Uh, cool, 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 cool. I mean, he went to the same schools as all of his shitty aristocratic uh, neighbors and stuff. Because remember, he's a very, very rich. He's not going to like, I don't know, Estonian public school number one, right. whatever, whatever the 1800s version of that is. Uh, instead, he, he was considered such a bully surrounded by other Probably horrible bullies, people of incredible privilege who never have to treat anybody equally. Right. Um, he was so bad that other children wouldn't go near him. Oh. He, he routinely stabbed other kids with compasses and scissors so often that he was no longer allowed to use them. <laughs> Jesus. All right. All right. Did he wet the bed too? Just tell me he wet the bed. It started fires, abused animals. Actually, two of those things are right. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, uh, so speaking of, of, of abusing animals, there was that time he kicked open somebody's door and strangled their pet owl to death. Jesus. Yeah, that happened. Is, it, is this guy going to get what he deserves? Tell me this guy's going to get what he deserves. Eventually he does. Okay, great. In about uh, 20 years. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the moral arc of the universe is long with Ben's sort of justice. <sighs> Unfortunately, he gets his justice at the hand of the Cheka. So I'll let you be the judge of that. Never mind. Now, despite the fact that everybody knew that he was smart, he was, he was very smart. He was very like cunning, clever, but he was fucking terrible at schoolwork. Um, he, I mean, he was too busy strangling owls and stabbing kids with scissors to listen to teachers. And, and remember, his teachers are commoners. They don't have like nobility teachers. Right. So he, he saw his teachers as below him that he doesn't need to listen to them. I'm sure this helps. And like that was uncommon even for the school, which is kind of weird, right? Like other aristocratic kids were dicks, but they did their schoolwork. He never did anything. Uh, one of, someone noted that he never once turned in a single assignment in a year, which if it wasn't for the stabbing kids and, and strangling owls, I would defend that. Fuck it. Why not? Right? Yeah. Now, eventually, because you can't get kicked out of these schools, right? Because they're for rich kids. I mean, they're not, they're not just for rich kids. This isn't like, I don't know, the, the Montessori school or whatever. This is for literal nobility. So you can't get like kicked out. Right. But his mother was asked to withdraw him from school, which oh. is as close as it gets. That's rough. I mean, yeah. fuck him, but that's rough. But because of their money and connections, he was never truly blacklisted. Like, you're not going to like the Ungern Sternberg kid can't come to your school because he's an Ungern Sternberg kid. So he was immediately accepted into another school, uh, which is modeled after Naval Academy in St. Petersburg, Russia. Now, somehow he actually this is a glow up for him. The school is significantly better than the other one. (laughs) This school is way more prestigious than the first one that he got kicked out of. Um, and he, 
And he immediately uh, did this. He immediately started doing the same thing. He failed upwards and then continued to fail. Um, He broke every rule that the school had. uh, This including things like smoking inside and fighting, but also growing his hair out. Um, You know, and he stole from the kitchens. Uh, Because one of the things that the school did was try to teach military discipline to these kids. Oh, wow. And remember, I mean, because these schools are feeder schools into the aristocratic branch of the Russian Imperial military, which were all officers. So like, you know, the, the one of the main discipline measures that the Russian military used was, you know, just misery being hungry all the time not being mm-hmm. fed they weren't hit or anything because that that would be conscripts that get hit not them but right. like they were hungry a lot so he'd steal from the kitchen uh he made it a year there before being withdrawn as well again at the school's insistence um now after this the family weren't quite sure what to do with them it was obvious he didn't care about school he was just a, a a, a malignant tumor oh, to everybody. Trip, he yeah. was around. He was a dick. Um, but you know, then Roman decided, "Fuck this! I don't need this." Because true adventure. <laughs> I, I'm going to India to live with Otto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go become a pirate. Uh, no, he did the the thing that is very common amongst men of his age, and honestly, that has this has not gone away. A war started, so he decided he was going to go see adventure. But the thing uh, is, no. is like. Remember, he failed out of two military schools. He was not an officer. So he enlisted as a regular soldier to the horror of his family. Like, oh, no, you're going to go be a a normal person. Yeah, you're going to have to go touch commoners, which admittedly probably disgusted him. Um, But in case anybody had lost track of the time, the Russo-Japanese War had just started. Ah, and now, if we're not going to go into this because uh, Roman misses the war entirely, but we'll get there. Okay. Uh, we did a three-part series on the Russo-Japanese War. Go listen to it. It's hilarious. Um, now, the Russo-Japanese War kicked off. And remember, for people unaware, this occurred on the fringes of the collapsing Chinese Empire. It was not near either Japan nor Russia. Right. <laughs> so it took a long fucking time to actually get there. This is back when war took months to get to, if not longer. <laughs> so by the time he actually got there, the war was over. Um, but during that time, he did get promoted to corporal. So congrats, I guess. Good job, um, Roman. I assume yeah, it was take. the worst job in the Russian army, just like it was the worst job in the, uh, the U.S. army when I had it. Now, he was eventually sent back to Russia. And, you know, it, when the, the Russians lost the Russo-Japanese War, it caused like uh, an institutional tremor uh, through all of the various failings going back generations of the House of Romanov, right? Uh, the system he loved so much, the monarchy, uh, was falling to absolute shit. The war was embarrassing to the government and increased conscription had driven people to the breaking point on top of just, you know, not having food, uh, being mm-hmm. treated like shit. Um, now, this sparked what's known as Bloody Sunday. No, not that one. The other one. No, the not that one. one. The other one. <laughs> There's a lot of Bloody Sundays uh, when soldiers fired on protesters outside the Winter Palace and soon peasants were in revolt, right. seizing and burning down farms and their Lord's Manor. Uh, you know, this, this happened throughout the empire. Roman considered peasants rising up a slight against the natural order of being dominated by the nobility without complaint. And this is a direct quote from him quote. Our family has never taken orders from the working class, dirty workers who have never had any servants who think they can command. 
<laughs> this I guy's going to get one between the eyes, and I'm going to cheer what he does. I, I love that, like, you can't possibly be in charge. You've never had a servant. Like, yeah, that's actually a pro. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Now, like we said, Ro- Roman was deeply, deeply racist, uh, which he believed that not only does the working class and the peasantry need to be put in their place, like he believed this for Germans as well. Like German peasants, you you suck, you're below me too. But he thought it was even worse for Slavs. Um, so he was, uh, and, and there's so many different layers here. Remember, remember he considers himself Russian, who who are Slavs. Uh, and hate Slavs, but he considers himself as an elevated Russian, so he's nobility. There's a lot of layers here. All of them <laughs> stupid. It's like peeling the layers back in a very dumb onion. Yeah, really <laughs> yeah. dumb onion. <laughs> dumb onion, if you will. Now, in Russia, things were sparked by socialist revolutionaries, right? If you, if anybody wasn't unaware of that fact, um, there's a there's a whole thing about it. They ended up becoming some kind of union. Mm. Wouldn't know. Anyway. <laughs> now in estonia it was a little bit different um there was socialist revolutionaries as there was you know pretty much everywhere but it was more of a national revival people in these these fringe areas of the empire and i can speak from the armenian history side of this wanted their own national identity their own national sovereignty and things like that and it was not uncommon from the for the estonians to form their national identity during this time right um and while some people wanted independence, other people were simply arguing for equality with the Baltic Germans who had lived there, which fat chance of that motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> good luck. Uh, m- most nobility don't go ahead and be like, you're right. We won't be noble anymore. Uh, yeah. They, they normally have to see Mr. Choppy choppy. Um, now, when that failed, uh, <laughs> they went ahead and vented uh, 700 years of pent-up anger against the German mobil- uh, nobility just all over the place. Um, in one week of December 1905 alone, one-fifth of all German-owned property in Estonia had been destroyed and burnt down. Uh, nice. to- yeah, good for you. Uh, next time, go for 100%. Uh, this included a lot of stuff owned by Roman's family and like quite a few nobility that didn't quite get out on time, find themselves swinging from a tree, which, you know, what what? Happens. I'll give it this. <laughs> <laughs> it's owned. You know, fuck you. The revolt was brutally brought under control when 20,000 imperial soldiers strolled in, as imperial soldiers want to do. The thousands were killed and thousands more were sent to Siberia. And for Roman, this whole event confirmed all of his prejudices against the peasantry, against the locals, against everything. And it only made him more of a staunch monarchist. According to him, the peasants didn't revolt because of things, uh, because things were unequal or they were sick of being fucked with or Maybe they just really don't like the Ungern-Sternkerd family. I don't know. I thought you were going to say they don't like the vibe. Yeah, this whole this whole vibe is cursed, fam. I'm going to go grab a, a, a bayonet, a bayonet, and uh, uh, I don't know. We'll see you guys cancel you to cancel you to a permanent end. <laughs> I hate. I just said all of that. Um, yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm ashamed though. of myself. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, the, are the youths entertained? Are you well, entertained? My back no, hurts. They're, they're, I, I, yeah, I got fired today, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to have to fire you from this podcast and immediately exit out of this recording. No, Do not uh, fire me from this podcast. 
<laughs> at least, at least not until Nick comes back. We have a we have a, a union grievance process. You have to file it to my dog. Um, Aww, dog. <laughs> now, he believed that all of this failed uh, because, quote, feral animals only fit to be tamed and corralled, rough and untutored, wild and constantly angry, hating everybody and everything without understanding why. That's, that's how he described normal people. Like I said, I'm going to be real happy when this guy gets one between the eyes. Yeah, yeah. After this, various changes that Roman absolutely hated began to take part or take hold in Imperial Russia. This includes things like the October Manifesto that granted very little democratic <laughs> representation in the Duma, which would, you know, be dissolved multiple times whenever the Tsar mm-hmm. farted incorrectly. Um <laughs> But his loyalty to the Tsar was unchanged and unchallenged. And he eventually went on to attend the Paul I Military Academy, actually graduating from a school and becoming an officer in the Imperial Army. Well done, Um, asshole. (laughs) You finally did it. Third time is the charm. Remember, kids, if you're listening and you are having a hard time in school, remember, you too could one day become Roman von Ungern Sternberg. Just join the army. (laughs) Yeah. Now, and then um, write a book and then get demoted and then write some more books and then have a podcast with your friend, Leo. That's right. Uh, oh, I just accidentally, in a roundabout way, called myself Ungern Sternberg. I don't like that. Oh, Joe. You'll figure out. Well, actually, I hate it way more uh, because I wrote this. So it's going to get worse. Um, it always does. Now, while he was in school, uh, he was still a very bad student. He graduated at the bottom of his class. Uh, but one thing yeah, he got. Yeah, but, you know, one thing he got really into while he was in school was Buddhism and esoteric occultism. What the fuck? While still somehow tying it back to the czar. He kind of accidentally created, I don't know, like the Imperial God Emperor from Warhammer 40k in his own mind. Or like that weird Nazi esoteric shit. Same shit. Same. So this all came from a woman named Helena Blavatsky, which... I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, she is the gene scene for a lot of weird Nazi uh, occultism and esotericism. Not going to get into that wormhole uh, one bit. Um, but I do know one thing. You ever watched Saturday Night Live from like the 90s? All the Chicago mm-hmm. football fans eating brats and shit. Mm-hmm. Someone named Helena Blavatsky sounds like she'd fit in great. <laughs> that's all. That's the only thing that came to my mind is like uh, Nazis. Blavatsky. Um yeah, uh, there, there's a there's a whole layer of other shit. If anybody wants to read more into Helena Blavatsky, um, I believe last podcast on the left talked about her quite a bit. I don't know. I'm not going to get into her because that shit will suck your brain in. Yeah. Anyway, he finally graduated from the school without getting kicked out. Ed was sent to a Cossack regiment. Um, now, for people unaware, Cossacks are um, a minority group in the Russian Empire, um, kind of loosely related to like outlying republics, you'd consider them uh, Kazakh or or um, Mongol or uh, it depends on which Cossack group you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very weird web of different ethnicities all forming upon one culture, uh, which is cool, honestly. like I've, Learning about the Cossacks is kind of rad. Um, but it, at the time... Talk about Co- the pogroms, Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> um, now the Cossacks were are were and kind of still are. Did you just say you like pogroms? 
Oh, no, I said we we're going to talk about the pogroms. No, Joe, did you just say that? I, th- I think I heard that, everybody. This shirt that says I am not a fan of pogroms is, a- is asking a lot of questions <laughs> that the shirt should have answered. Um, but like to this day, Cossacks are kind of used as like a uh, weird paramilitary strike force against yeah. people again that stand against the uh, well, yeah. now yeah, the Federation, then the Imperial throne. Um they were kind of like almost like a border patrol in some various areas because they were considered more hardy than Russians, much better horsemen. And he chose to go to a Cossack regiment, which is interesting. Most Russians do not enjoy working with Cossacks in this period. Uh, he was sent off to Manchuria to serve with a regiment made up of the Trans-Baikal uh, Cossacks. And he was... The reason why he chose to serve with the Trans-Baikal Cossacks or Cossacks in general, he didn't care. He wasn't actually smart enough to realize there's a there's different Cossacks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because That's he, he had surprised. Yeah, right. Uh, he had a very large obsession with anything vaguely Eastern, which is what he would consider mm-hmm. Cossacks because of Buddhism. His obsession uh, obsession with Buddhism. He's like Cossacks are probably Buddhist, and to be fair, he was right. Um, but there's another part that Liam already kind of touched on that he really, really enjoyed. That was how much they hated Jewish people. Um, he actually he that always fucking is, man. He he truly found that part appealing. He's like, ah, they ride horses. They're Buddhists. They hate Jews. I'm going to go work with them. Now, the Trans-Baikal uh, Cossacks were closely linked to Mongolia. They often married into Mongolian families. Uh, they practiced the same kind of Buddhism that Mongolians did. I don't know what the hell we ever did to them, but sure. Yeah, uh, you existed. How dare you? Um, uh, get us into trouble. Yeah. Uh, you need to de-escalate your existence is what uh, I believe a Western journalist would say, both oh, sides of this conflict. De- they can de-escalate my dong. <laughs> yeah, de-escalate these dicks. Now, um, the Roman got very close to these guys. Um so close, in fact, that he hung out more with the Cossacks than he did with his fellow Russian officers, which is very weird for them to do at the time. Um, and the where his unit was stationed was literally in the middle of nowhere. It had no roads. The nearest town is 200 miles away, and the only transportation was horse. So that meant Roman got very, very good at riding, mostly to fit in. Like He wanted the Cossacks. He wanted to be one of the cool ones, right? Um, and because his head has always been kind of out there, uh, he used this time in the region uh, to continue to lie his ass off uh, when writing about his life later on. He claimed he, that he attempted to start an order of the military Buddhists to stand up against the forces of revolution and defend the czar. Um, now, he claimed that this idea failed uh, because nobody was able to live up to his high standards. Um, it's more likely it failed because he never tried it. But what he also wrote is that in order to inspire men to seek enlightenment, his idea of enlightenment, because remember, he probably only knows of Buddhism through like various secondhand books and shit written by like Orientalists. Um, Mm. He introduced limitless opium, alcohol and weed, hoping this would trigger his men to becoming better men of faith. This did not work. All right. (laughs) Though this uh, this did bega- uh, start a lifelong log- love affair with sweet, sweet opium that he will never kick. Yeah, you and me both, buddy. Now, the idea of a drunk and high Cossack like wandering through the steppe attempting to create a holy army is pretty funny. It almost certainly didn't happen. But what did happen was Roman crawling into a bottle while also doing opium. 
uh, when he got drunk, he got violent as hell. And nobody's entirely sure how or what happened. But one night he got so drunk, he dueled another officer, which led to him resigning. So you can probably assume who was at fault there. Uh, the officer didn't die or anything like that. But he was still rich, still a noble, and still had a commission in the army. So he got invited to take up a position with the 1st Amur Cossack Regiment. This unit was even further far, uh, further away from pretty much every form of life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was all the way by the Chinese border. And uh, once there, his record shows him constantly getting drunk and fighting, as well as doing a few more duels. Um, this, uh, during one of these duels, he was struck incredibly hard with the flat side of someone's sword, which opened a gash across his forehead, which is pretty telling in all the photos that everybody has of him. Like, he has a very distinctive scar on his face. Um, but it also knocked him unconscious and caused a pretty serious brain injury. Um, oh. yeah. Now, most people in Roman's life to this, uh, point to this moment as being what caused him to change and throw himself off a deep end and never really look back. Um, like he was doing normal shitty rich guy stuff up until this point. He was being a stuck up dick to commoners, hating peasants, all normal stuff. Um, right. Dueling officers in the military, honestly, still kind of normal. That wasn't even illegal at the time. But after this, he begins to do some wild ass shit. Uh, so one time he was at a restaurant and someone brought him a bill before he was done. Like he was oh, still wow. drinking. Someone said he was still drinking wine or something Let's like that. Poorly. <laughs> so uh, he responded by throwing him out a window. Oh, okay (laughs) holy shit all right Uh, and another time he decided that when someone questioned his marksmanship using his sidearm he decided to pull it out in a cafe and start shooting people's hats off yeah william tell over to shit yeah i mean uh he was also drunk uh there he didn't kill anybody this time either i because if he did he probably wouldn't have got out of prison um even the russian military back then would frown upon you randomly dropping people in the middle of a cafe. Pussies. Um, now, by 1913, he had enough of the army. He decided that um, this wasn't what he wanted in his life, and he requested a discharge to be transferred over to the army reserves. Um, now, if anybody's keeping track at home, that is in two years, he had gone through two units, not to mention that he was so drunk and violent, he couldn't even hang out with Cossacks, which is Jesus. a fucking feat. <laughs> that's, um, that's tough. Like, that's like uh, being so into kids that Spartans tell you to chill out, right? <laughs> um, it, for anybody who doesn't know, like Cossacks are prized in Russia for just wanton violence. Like that's why the the empire kept them around is that they knew that they could turn them loose on people and they would get praise from the government for kind of being like a paramilitary hit squad. <laughs> The fact that he was so unruly and violent that the Cossacks were like, whoa, is kind of nuts. I, I guess they didn't see it. I, they didn't bond over their Jew hating like he hoped. What a shame. Yeah. It's like being, being so anti-Semitic that the local, like, I don't know, um, white identity church is like, uh, please don't come back. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he didn't wait for his letter to be approved. He just kind of assumed it would. And uh, by the time that the government actually approved of his uh, letter and his resignation, uh, he had already left. He just abandoned his unit, 
jumped on horseback oh, and oh, fucked okay. off the Mongolia. <laughs> yeah. So like he kind of lucked out that he didn't accidentally go AWOL. But I don't think I, I really don't think uh, nobles could go AWOL. There's like uh, you go back to that unit, you dastard lib. If you're enlisted, you're like, mm-hmm. we're actually going to beat you to death with a stick. It happens. Now, he eventually made his way to Urga, which is modern-day Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, the largest city in Mongolia back then, um, and I believe still today it's the capital city. Um, and so, yeah, it is. Now, remember, he had been... His, his vision of everything he considered Eastern or Mongolian or Buddhist is very much high-in-the-sky shit. He's the only Buddhist that he'd ever talked to were Cossacks at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he had never been to Mongolia. He had never actually, he doesn't know anything about actual Mongolian culture, nothing like that. So when he stepped foot in Urga, it probably seriously rocked his brain. It's, it's like one of those things called Paris syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, absolutely. So Paris syndrome for people who don't know is people who, who've built up Paris to the point of forgetting it's actually a city that people live in, you know, uh, with its own and problems. And it's a gross one too, man. It's it's, it's kind of, it's got its problems. Um, Paris is gross, and and I and I say this as and I'm sorry, a francophile, which I am. I mean, I wrote my capstone paper on Napoleon. I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, we're all bad people here, Joe. Ah, it's 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 history. Fuck it. Um, now. Uh, the, the the syndrome part of that is people build this thing up in their head so much that when it fails to meet the expectation, they kind of have a panic attack. Um, and that kind of happened to him because when he got to Urga, I mean, Urga is a, a, is a very early developing city. It has its problems. Uh, he had been so full of Eastern mysticism and wonder that he was very shocked when he discovered that Urga was desperately poor, had no electricity. Nobody had built sewers. Uh, people would dump garbage and sewage in the street. And I've I've been to places in the world that this happens in. It's it's the way things are sometimes. Um, but you know, for someone that came from an aristocratic background with like a small army of servants, it shocked him quite a bit. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, like for instance, there were so many wild dogs in the street during this time that it was common for people to just carry a stick in order to in case they had to fight them off. Um, like. <laughs> As you do. Remember, honey, don't forget your dog fighting stick. <laughs> now, when Roman arrived in Mongolia, he uh, he found uh, a Mongolia that had just kind of gotten independence. Um, it wasn't quite official, but it was. Uh, it was known as the Bogd Khanate. Uh, they broke off from the, the the Chinese Empire only two years before when something that resembled an orderly transition from colony to Buddhist theocracy, sort of. Um, oh it was one of those things that happened at the, the fringes of the Chinese empire because it was rapidly collapsing and they just lacked the ability to stop it from happening. Uh, they're too busy, I don't know, stealing money and f- collapsing from within to worry about without. Now, that didn't mean that the two sides didn't fucking hate each other. Even though the Chinese were pretty much just like, fine, whatever, be, be the bugged Khanate, we'll just hang out over here. Like, there was still just deep-seated Chinese racism against the Mongolians, and the Mongolians hated the Chinese for generations of oppression alongside quite a bit of racism themselves. So, like, sure. you know, not great uh, neighbors. This led to what could be known as tense relations, uh, even after independence. There's a couple of violent outbursts, hate crimes. Um, the, Chi- the Chinese government really didn't have any c- central control over their military. So uh, occasionally groups of Chinese soldiers would just raid towns. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, 
Now, the the new ruler of the Khanate was the Bogd Khan, uh, or the Holy Emperor and head of the Mongolian um, of Mongolian Buddhism, and therefore the state. Uh, he was one of the so-called yellow hats of Tibetan Buddhism. He was the third, to be specific, with the other two being the Dali and the Panchen Lamas. So he's he's up there, if you he's believe a that fucking kind of thing. deal. Yeah, yeah. Though this Bogd Khan, the eighth, was a bit different than uh, a, the holy man that you would expect. Now, he was he a, be a warrior monk. No, not even a little bit. Oh. Uh, he was a morbidly obese alcoholic who fucked an endless stream of men, women, and children who were brought oh, before him. I was going to make a joke, and then you said, and children. I was like, no, 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 no. Pull up, pull up, pull up. Terrain. 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 Pull up. Terrain. <laughs> I was um, like morbidly obese alcoholic or two thirds the way there. <laughs> he was. <laughs> you were one half of a bogged con, sir. Um, yeah, at least I don't do kid fucking. Yeah. I mean, you will always have that. Um, now, because of these rampant fuck parties, uh, he eventually caught syphilis, which of course went untreated. As you do. So it was slowly stealing his eyesight and turning him insane. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> he also spent an absolute ton of money on a private zoo, which included several elephants and giraffes, uh, which this will somehow become important later, I promise. He also had several cars, with, with this being Mongolia in the early 1900s. You can only imagine how expensive that was. Also, there was barely any roads for him to drive the cars on. <laughs> it was just a flex. <laughs> and, and- <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> I want to go see the car that I can't drive. Also, people like pointed out that like he couldn't fit in some of the cars. He he was huge. Oh, well, at least I could fit my GTI. So there you go. He probably could not. A GTA is a small car. I oh, thank you, Joe. I know. <laughs> I cannot fit comfortably in a GTI. Yes, you could. You push the seat the whole way back. And you make Ross miserable in the back seat. Fine, I'll do it. <laughs> that, that's the experience of riding with me in any car. To be fair. Now, how tall are you? are like an inch taller than I am, man. I'm six three, but like yeah, my proportions are very tall. weird. Do you have long legs? You got the long, long legs. I, I have long legs and long arms, so a lot of things oh, don't. Fit I actually very have well. short little legs, so that makes sense. Yeah, that makes it honestly. That makes the whole like vehicle transportation thing a lot easier in life. Like I, I drive a Prius, which make the obvious you joke. Drive here. a Prius? Yes, I do. I back when I had a normal job, I used to have to commute an hour one way into Washington. Oh, that's so oh. like. Yeah, like gas is expensive, you know, whatever. And you are, as we know, a liberal crybaby. That's right. I uh, actually uh, used my Prius to truck MS-13 gangsters into the polls in 2016 yes. to help Dude, steal the election. that's crazy. I did that in my GTI, but <laughs> it didn't work so well because, you know, small cars. So you're like stacking MS-13 on the roof and shit. Like, yeah, you get, you get a ratchet trap. You're like, <laughs> you're like, guys, I know it's not comfortable. Just five more minutes. And they're all just like, we'll kill you, gringo. And you know, Remember, guys, folks, we're doing this for the great replacement. Um, this, is, this is a bit, although no, the great replacement is real and it's cool. That's what my dad has. That's, that's a new <laughs> thing my dad's on is that he encourages the great replacement because he doesn't think like white Americans should have rights anymore, which like, you know, get, get Liam's <laughs> dad on the podcast. Uh, no, come on, man. He, say he, what, he loves D-Day. Say what you will about the old Priuses that looked like sh- like shoes or like I don't know, like a, like yeah, a roller yeah. skate. The new ones yeah. have a lot of oh, newer. I don't have a new car, but newer ones have a lot you of legroom in them. Oh hell yeah, I have the Prius. 
How much? You can tell me this offline. I need to know how much that costs you to ship. Uh, too much. Uh, but, yeah, I know. But less expensive than a new car. <laughs> I will say that. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, the Bogd Khan was the the theocrat, the dictator of Mongolia, and his and politi- kid fucking and and the dictator of kid fucking. God damn it, the dictator, if you uh, will. That's now, right. That's right. <laughs> his political policies mostly came down to just murdering opponents, uh, and he Fair became enough. so well known for poisoning people that it was common when when he invited people over for dinner that nobody would eat other than him. Um, yeah, so I, I said I'm not hungry through tears. <laughs> I I think this is a this is just a game for him so he could steal your food. Um, now any monk, it, right? He's 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 like the third messenger of God or whatever. If he says he wants uh, my French fries, he gets the fucking French fries, right? You can have him. I'm not I'm not gonna stop the guy. Now any monk or actual holy man that was like, hmm, you know, I feel like it's kind of distasteful <laughs> for the 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 reincarnated third hat to uh, to be fucking so many kids or being a massive glutton. Like that's kind of a bad look. They would just immediately get murdered. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Now, not much is known about Roman's early 1913 journey into Mongolia. He wrote very little about it. So, I mean, it's and we can assume that not much had taken place. And this is a bit and I'm going on a limb here. We can assume that because if it had, he would have written about it endlessly and probably would have lied about it. He doesn't say shit about this point. We just know right. that he went there. And we know that he is he's a guy who lies about, you know, how great that he does is or whatever absolutely endlessly yeah um okay. now he wasn't the only russian interested in the country the russian government was a huge supporter of the newly independent mongolia within a year of independence there was agreements of mutual aid and support money poured into the country that was immediately used for giant fuck parties for the Khan, uh, as one does as one does uh, he kind of remind he got I got big jo- uh, like job of the hut energy like just yeah. living in a basement having women and men brought to him for fun and, and children and I'm trying to leave that part out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm grounding us. Now the reason for this is like the the Russo Japanese war pretty much right Russian pride had been kicked in the the dick so hard it shit like cracked the emperor uh, and like their pride was hurting. And they couldn't fuck with Japan anymore, right? Like Japan just right. like kicked Japan your head has in. arrived, right? Yeah. So like, uh, I guess we could fuck with China. Uh, that's that seems easier. Mm-hmm. Now, Alexei Kuropotkin, which is uh, if you haven't listened to the series, he's one of the main idiots that gets Russia involved in this war, right? Uh, he was a massive racist, which was common in the uh, Russian imperial circle at the time, and he said, "quote." In the near future, a major global war could get their heads kicked in. Yeah, yeah. In the near future, a major global war could flare up between the yellow and white races. For this purpose, Russia must occupy northern Manchuria and Mongolia. Yep. Now, because (laughs) yeah, because of this, the empire nearly annexed Mongolia entirely after they broke away from China, but instead decided to use them as a proxy instead because the Russians are kind of having a hard time managing their empire as it was, making it larger seem stupid. Right. Um, they also deployed military trainers to m- try to modernize the Mongolian army, which wasn't really a thing. There was no center, like centralized Mongolian military. It was mostly sure. ran by warlords and things like that. But they tried to create one uh, numbered around 20,000 people. And they had a hell of a time because Mongolians lacked modern firearms. They still had muskets and most of them still uh, would rather use a composite bow because they still used it for hunting. Um, so that didn't work pretty tight. Yeah, 100%. 
Now, Roman ran into these military trainers and tried to join them, but it was refused at first. Uh, but, you know, he managed to worm his way in by constantly showing up at the camp and bitching about it anyway and took the rank of captain. Because if you bitch enough, people eventually just concede and so you shut up. Other Russian officers thought he was a fucking weirdo. They refused to hang out with him. Uh, they noted that he rarely cut his hair. They rarely, he rarely shaved. And more importantly, even for the time, he rarely Same. bathed, if at all. Right. Well, at least I shave and bathe. Well, I don't shave, but I do bathe. I beg of you to stop finding good things in common with this guy. <laughs> I was just doing this to annoy you at this point. <laughs> uh, people rem- uh, like remember him sitting alone in silence most of the time. Uh, not like reading oh, or anything, just like this is like some serial killer shit. Yeah, and occasionally he would just jump to his feet and quote, be seized by a strange spirit and lead a whooping Cossack charge against or across the plains by himself. Okay, dude's nice. Right, he lost his fucking mind. Yeah. Okay. No, I I would like to say I have nothing in common with this man other than our avoidance shaving. Since Joe wants to be my fucking mom about it. <laughs> what's uh, what's Liam doing? I don't know. He was staring at a wall for three hours. I was running across the backyard screaming about See, that's, that's funny because I have schizoaffective disorder, but usually I just sort of stare off into space when I uh, get like that. See, that's better than re- than riding on a Cossack charge. And I'm not anti-Semitic. <laughs> and being anti-Semitic. <laughs> Uh, he spent most of his time touring the various temples of the area, which were, there were a ton. Uh, and also, he he seemed to internalize um, just touring them, just like going just, around, just hanging out. Yeah, uh, and he seemed to really internalize Buddhist art. Uh, a lot of Buddhist uh, Mongolian Buddhist art involved like the layers of hell and torture and things like that. To be fair, the shit is sick. If you ever get a chance to go to like absolutely awesome an yeah. exhibition on it, absolutely go do that. Yeah, the the art slaps it's awesome it but does slap he would eventually attempt to recreate all of those using prisoners oh, yeah oh, ew. Yep. Gross. we're not quite there yet but yeah he uh that's where he gets his ideas um now he also spent his time drinking and fighting but by 1914 Same. the live laugh love pilgrimage had become that had come to an end and he returned home to estonia with nothing to show for his adventure now away from the army, the only not job even like a tattoo or something. Not like, even a tattoo. He didn't even rough. get like I don't know the, the eternity symbol on his ankle or a butterfly in his lower back. Um, yep, I just know it's a heart on her left wrist, and that's probably the most obnoxious tattoo I know about. <laughs> Am I like? I mean, I have the state of Kentucky on my calf, but don't worry about that. Anyway, I get all kinds of dumb. I got all kinds of dumb tattoos. I can't uh, insult anybody else's. I have, I have I have seen your thirst traps, Joe. <laughs> now. The only thing he was ever kind of good at was being in the army, but he had lost that job. He was now unemployed and living off his family's money while sitting around at his mom's house, as you know we all do from time to time. Up <laughs> in there, man. <laughs> I, I, I really can't can't make fun of this guy. We we all we've all been we've all had to sit at our mom's house. Yeah, he he eventually uh, just became a more anti-Semitic version of my brother. Um, oh yeah, oh, you have a brother? Oh yeah, yeah. Now, does he listen to the pod? He does not. <laughs> okay. Mark, if you're listening, I love you. I'm sorry. Now, by 1914, uh, if you notice from the date, that meant uh, Europe was about to blow itself up over inbred cousins beefing over turf. And so he was mobilized on July 19th oh, no. and sent right back to the Trans-Baikal Cossacks. Uh, more specifically, the Nurchinsk Regiment. Now, this regiment is important to be named because... It would become famous for fighting in some of the most absolute 
dumbest, most vicious, most casualty producing battles of the entire Eastern Front. And that says a lot coming from that topic. Yeah, that's bad. Officers suffered 170% casualties while enlisted men suffered 200% casualties. Suffered what? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That meant if you were in the unit, you were guaranteed to at least get hurt, but probably die. Now, this the, the Russian Imperial Army's rate was not great in general, but this was four times higher yeah, than the rest still, of the army. Yeah, that's really bad. That's real bad. <laughs> Roman would survive mostly on dumb luck and a brain full of opium and insanity. Uh, man. <laughs> for instance, he survived the Battle of Tannenberg unwounded, which is wow. he might that, be one of the only people to be able to say that. That is it skill? Is it sheer dumb luck? Only God knows. It's it's Nobody wants to fight the crazy guy. Like he's not on horseback anymore. No, it's some uh, what's his name, Churchill, Bad Jack. Exactly. Well, yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't on horseback anymore, though. He continuously argued that he should be, but he would lead charges from the front, carry like a pistol and a sword, and scream at like because remember he spoke German, so like he would run at the Germans screaming and yelling curse words and like Buddhist psalms at them. Yeah. All right. That'd be a little unnerving. Sure. (laughs) I wouldn't like that though. His, you know, his streak would eventually get broken. He got wounded five times in two years, uh, but none of them were super serious. This never seemed to slow him down. And unlike, and like a lot of people that we've talked about on this war, he fucking loved war. He thought it was a fucking hoot because remember he'd missed out on it. And, and during the Russo Japanese war, he'd finally got his war and he finally found something he was good at. Uh, Like for all of his flaws. And there were many leading soldiers in the combat or more specifically killing people. He he was very good at, he excelled at it. Um, hey, he finally is good at something. Yeah, it just required, my guy's good at something. It just required twenty million people to die or whatever. Oh, that's less good. <laughs> now, while back home, the Germans pushed into Estonia, and uh, a lot of his Baltic German neighbors became collaborators. He just went the other way. He became more and more and more psychotically Russian, uh, and eventually got rewarded the Cross of Saint George, the first of two he would end up getting. So, like. He was very good at fighting, but he was not a good officer. I need to outline that. He was a terrible officer. There's a reason why none of his heroics end up equaling promotions. Because right. he, was, he was still a drunken psychopath. And when he wasn't busy running headlong into machine guns, which he did multiple times, somehow never getting shot. Um, like one time he, when he wasn't doing that, he was off doing things that would get him thrown in jail. Uh, one time while on leave, he got blackout drunk and a- attacked a hotel clerk with his sword. And then after slashing the person's face to ribbons, he just laid down on the, on the couch in a lobby and went to sleep. But because he did this in the middle of a very large city in front of a lot of people, this actually landed him in jail for two whole months. Holy now, shit. Holy his- shit dude. <laughs> now... Being a, a noble in jail, his jail experiences was nothing, and he got out, and he was sent to the Caucasus front of the command of Grigory Semenov, uh, someone that if anybody's familiar with the Russian Civil War, your, uh, your hair probably just came up on the back of your neck. Yeah. Um, he had m- much of the same hobbies that Roman did, and that was mostly hating Jews, which ended with them becoming best friends. I love to do it, man. Uh, and this is probably the only actual friend that Roman would have in his entire life. Uh, as well, good. I was, I felt bad for him, but yeah. he's a terrible semite. 
We'll get you eventually, you dumb sluts. Now, once he reports to the caucus front, Roman witnessed the Assyrian genocide firsthand. <sighs> I have to do it. Can't go a whole he, episode. Can't do it. He, he, he got some great ideas and jotted them down. Yeah, right. He took cliff notes. Actually, he was disgusted by it. Um, wow. Now, to be fair, a lot of this is because Assyrians, well, not white, are Christian. Um, so when he saw Pontic Greeks, Armenians, and Assyrians being slaughtered by Ottoman Turks, I think he saw it as more of a race war than anything as sure. like, this is bad. Uh, because genocide sure. is bad. It was more of a, they're killing Christians, which unfortunately is a lot of how discourse back then is framed. And it's gross. Um, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. There was a little special side genocide during this time that targeted the Yazidi people, uh, something that he uh, does not talk about. Though, to be fair, he probably has no idea who Yazidis are. Um, now, Roman wanted to desperately intervene, and so did Semenov. Um, now, he daydreamed of starting an entire Assyrian and Armenian regiment, liberating the entire area by himself, like a, I don't know, uh, Lawrence of Arabia type. Um, or, but, of course, the Russian military thought this is a fucking stupid idea. It's insane. And they wouldn't let him do it. Uh, though, ironically enough, they Russians themselves would recruit Assyrians, Pontic Greeks, Yazidis, and Armenians to help them fight the Turks. Apparently, right. they, they just really didn't want Roman doing it, which, fair enough. Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe you. Yes. Um, now, at the time, the Russian state they were fighting for was rapidly imploding. Um, by March of the same year, the Tsar abdicated. Kerensky had come to power. Right. Kerensky notably bad at his job, and soon the entire country was collapsing into civil war. Putting it aggressively mildly. Yeah, yeah. Re- too long didn't read. Read about it amongst yourselves. Come back. Um, Roman, as you can imagine, was horrified by this turn of events, and specifically the rise of the Bolsheviks. Now, for reasons that Liam specifically can probably expect, it was not because of they were peasants or they were workers. Because they were the Bolsheviks Jews. are Jews. Yep, the Bolsheviks are Jews, Joe. Oh, yes, yeah, that's yes. Right. Once finally, we are on top. Oh, <sighs> time to bend the knee, you dumb Christian fucks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> now he obviously hated the idea of. Uh, of peasants and working class people. He wrote about how much he hated the peasants and the working well, class. Well, they never had servants, Joe. How would yeah, they, they never had servants. <laughs> um, but like he more specifically constantly just called them Jews. So like it was very uh, much okay. the, the yeah, Judeo-Bolshevism um, uh, propaganda uh-huh. angle. Uh-huh. Yep, well, I'm alive and he's not, so you can suck that dick. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, what's that? I can't hear you of the sound of my survival, you piece of shit. We will outlive you, you dumb sluts. I I see that we have the same tagline. Now, (laughs) he he went with his friend Semenov to uh, Siberia, where they'd go on a recruiting spree, taking in Cossacks and Mongolians and various other fringe anti-communist forces, uh, eventually forming the Siberian White Russian Army. Uh, Now, this was not unified um most of the white army isn't it's right. like warlords and feudalism right, right 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 like by you're kind of right by saying they're all blanketly anti-communists though that is quite reductive it's dumber right. than that <laughs> just some guys they're, yeah, they're it's just some guys being dudes yeah. um 
Now, uh, this started off very small. They got a couple hundred people at first. And this for people that are vehemently racist as they were, this is a shockingly multi-ethnic army. Um, you take granted, what you can get at some point, I suppose. Yeah, and granted, all of the officers are white. Um, yeah, sure. Or at least Russian nobility and other kinds of white. Right. Now, their main enemy ended up not being the Red Army at this time, at least not yet, but the Chinese who were growing nervous about the fringe minorities that they hated, uh, getting mm-hmm. guns and hanging out together. Now, they were bailed out of the situation by, of all people, the Japanese, um, <laughs> as well as the U.S. and the British. Yep. Now, uh, there's a side story here about the U.S. and the British and the Japanese invading during the Russian Civil War, which I promise we'll talk about eventually. And the but, communists like to never let us forget it. We know. <laughs> we know. Now, more specifically, and I do have to point this out, most of the white army's aid came from Japan, not the yes. U.S. or Britain. Yeah, well, don't tell them that. Now, um, because, you know, fascists like fascists. Uh this now they they saw the Japanese specifically saw fighting in Siberia as good as their good for their goals of expansion. They didn't care so much about communism. That was the U.S. and the British. Right. Um, the Japanese wanted to expand. If you hadn't noticed from what happens after this event in world history, um, now specifically the Japanese Empire began pumping guns and money to Semenov's White Army. They also became more than that. Depending on your faction of the White Army, Semenovs in particular kind of became a puppet of the Japanese Empire. Um, while he secured the entire Trans-Baikal region, he sur- ended up surrounding himself with Japanese assistants, military advisors, and trainers. That's exactly what it sounds like. Um, like He eventually ended up having to learn Japanese. Racial harmony. Yeah, the co Japan co prosperity sphere. Uh, anyway, where are those Jews? <laughs> no. <laughs> Meanwhile, Roman was sent down to the town of Duria, where he turned this town and the surrounding areas into his personal fiefdom. In an era of war and violence, as the main way of solving any problem, Roman stuck out. His army worked on kidnapping anyone they deemed useful. Anyone passing by would be robbed and murdered by his men. And because of racism, they targeted Chinese people in particular, where they would chop off their fingers to get the tight-fitting rings. This This institutional banditry would become the main source of funding for his army and would continue to be for the rest of this story, no matter where this army moves. And it will do some moving. Now... The White Army pretty much overall was led by a group of disjointed, ununified group of warlords, kind of sort of brought over their hatred of communism, though, like we said before, not getting into it that much. It's not that easy. It is right. that dumb, though. These so-called barons, which is where the, he gets his nickname, the barons that would command various parts of the White, the white Army's area of control would rule with an iron fist, but they generally liked to play at the fact that they were legitimate government of whatever area they ruled over. They would set up administrations and whatever, you know, some people put up their own money, license plates, things like that. Roman wouldn't do any of that. And instead when people like brought him paperwork to sign or look at, he would just throw them in the fire. Uh, which is, I assume, how most governments are administered. Yeah, correctly. I mean, that's, uh, he's just getting rid of the metaphor. Yeah, he's, he's cutting out wasteful government by throwing it in a fire. Now, he only gave orders orally and forbade people to write them down like a gigantic war what? version of telephone. <laughs> what? That, what? 
When Sebanov thought this was kind of weird and sent a guy to check on his records, he had him beaten and drafted into his army, which <laughs> Sebanov was weirdly cool with. I am so goddamn... What? <laughs> and while he was the, the baron of this area, he decided to sit down and do some studying. Do you want to guess what he read, Liam? Uh, something. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. You got it! You nailed it! <laughs> yeah. Now, why am I not surprised? <laughs> I, again, want to say as this podcast's Jewish co-host, now that of course I've killed and deposed Nick, uh, <laughs> it, it's all true, folks. It's all true. The real Nicks are the friends we made along the way. That's true. We sent him to a North Korean gulag. Yeah, he's well, dead. Sorry. I'm right. only half of incorrect there. He is in Korea and he cannot leave. <laughs> well, now, you're always in our thoughts, Nick. <laughs> Now, he got real deep into the Protocols of Elders of Zion. Roman, not Nick. <laughs> <laughs> now, he decided that this was such a good piece of literature that everyone should read it. So he oh, had man. it printed out and passed out to all of his men where they would then be quizzed on it. Now, notably, oh, Ford party. Yeah, no, notably, this is the only kind of paperwork he seemed to be cool with. <laughs> Roman also came to the conclusion that since the Soviets were being propelled by Jews, that the only answer was to, quote, <sighs> I'm sorry, Liam, exterminate Jews so neither what a men fucking surprise, nor man. women nor even their pe- the people of this people will remain. Oh, and, and, and I'm alive and he's not. So once again, scoreboard, Liam, Liam. scoreboard. <laughs> now, Roman gave explicit orders that any Jew that passed through his territory was to be summarily executed. While doing this, he got more and more involved in the occult, fucking around with playing cards and like learning how to uh, like use them as tarot cards, which I wasn't aware you could do with playing cards. Uh, he also yeah. he also dedicated himself to being able to tell people's futures as well as read minds. Um, okay, guy. Now, this makes a lot more sense when I tell you that his opium addiction had gotten wildly out of control by this yeah, point. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, uh, like people would say that he would stare you in the eyes for minutes at a time and and like act like he's reading their minds and then just walk off. Um, now, remember, this is a guy that would just routinely kill people offhandedly. So, like, he just comes over, locks eyes with you, stinking of opium. He's like, "Oh, is he reading my mind, or is he going to kill me today?" I honestly can't tell. Um, now he had gotten so big onto opium that he decided uh, he had actually used it to quit drinking. So he was solely doing opium at this point. That's and funny. He, I used uh, uh, alcohol to quit using heroin. Yeah, I actually used uh, meth to quit smoking. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Um, no, I did not. <laughs> oh, well, what the fuck, Joe? <laughs> I ever once I'm worried about saying something like that, like, yeah, I'm really, uh, someone's going to be like, wow, I, I never knew you were an addict before. Like, uh oh, uh, I was, you can direct all your complaints to me. I mean, I just, I just used to drink and smoke. Um, yeah, you used to be cool. I know I'm, I am not cool. You're on my podcast. Of course I'm not cool. I know. Wow. Okay. guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, he ordered all of his men to immediately quit drinking and in order to do that, take opium, um, which didn't do great. It uh, didn't work. So uh, anyone who continued to drink would be ordered to strip naked uh, and go sleep on a frozen river where many men were eaten by wolves. Yeah, all right. 
that makes sense. <laughs> this is a welcome to my three-step process. Step yeah, one. Addicted to heroin if you're to wolves. If you're, <laughs> if you're eaten by wolves, whatever. Quit doing heroin using this one trick. Therapists hate him. It's just like uh, a, a happy, like Beverly Hills sobriety institute commercial, but you're sitting naked on a mm-hmm. on a river, being chewed on by a wolf. Like thanks to wolves, I no longer am on the H. <laughs> is is that right, Grizzly Adams? Is that right? As, as he's taking up all your hands. <laughs> <laughs> now. Roman and his gacked to the gills followers <laughs> were so unhinged and violent that Semenov decided to use that. He ordered that uh, everyone um, that like his secret police and everybody else in Siberia that was arrested by the white army were to be sent to Duria where they would be executed and or tortured and then executed because they're like, well, Roman's people seem to be good at this. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> They ran a torture chamber in a uh, place called the Makavivo that would end up killing 5,000 people. Though it's thought of that that's kind of an underestimate. Um, right. That's probably way more because he also decided randomly that he would be really into burning bodies. Um, so not all of the remains survived. Now, as you know from history and pretty much every episode from this podcast, uh, when you treat people terribly, they will we'll eventually try to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more Siberians uh, became Soviet partisans, while still others, being completely politically un- unaffiliated, formed bands of fighters to fight the whites because they were so sick of the shit. <laughs> like, God, even the wolves are so fat from eating the junkies mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that we they're not taking care of the rest of the prisoners. Just right along. <laughs> like, easy meat. <laughs> I need to run a lap. Or I know. I, I know. I shouldn't have another one, but they're just so good. <laughs> All of the alcohol and opium really leads to marbling of the fat. <laughs> now, while white soldiers under Roman and Semenov's command were tired of this they're fucking deserting in mass because their bosses were insane like like what's my choice quit drinking which their their life is miserable at this point right right like do i quit drinking to take up opium and all the opium medics look miserable or do i get eaten by fucking wolves you know uh, so like you know what i'm willing to maybe go join these bandits in the countryside mm-hmm. oh also, between 1919 and 1920, typhus and cholera swept through Siberia. Uh, of course. So, being a doctor of uh, of control of disease control, you want to guess how he, how he handled this? Just killing some guys. Yeah, you coughed wrong, they just shot you. Yeah, all right. And then uh, he would just like, well. We need to get rid of these bodies. So you order them to be dumped in the nearby river, which of course is drinking water, which caused the spread of disease oh, to get even wow. worse. <laughs> and then he killed so many people. He clogged the fucking river. Like beaver Ew. beavers got like fucking uh, uh, outsourced to a psychopath with a pile of corpses. So that's when he decided to switch to burning people, um, which Sure. I guess that's better. I don't know. Don't kill people. Maybe don't do yeah, that. I'll do that. Thankfully, by 1920-ish, the reign of terror that the whites had brought onto Siberia was just about over because they were getting their shit kicked in by Soviets, by disaffected whites, by angry bands of people who just fucking hated everyone at this point, the Chinese, various other people. And they were uh, 
They're going to have to leave Siberia. That's when Roman himself abandoned his friend Semenov and retreated over the Mongolian border with what was left of his army. And the second and final adventure in Mongolia, which will promise to be far more insane and dumb than the first, is where we will pick up next time on the conclusion of the bloody white baron and his band of duology opium bandits. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, who amongst us haven't done a bunch of opium and fed ourselves to uh, fed our like friends and our legs to wolves to kick alcohol? We, we all, we all, yeah, we all had rough days. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, Liam, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's fine, Joe. <laughs> to be fair, when I started this research project, I did not know he was an anti-Semite. It just ended up being that way. It's um, fine, Joe. Which I, sh- I should have realized he wasn't the white military, which did some of the it's worst fine, pogroms Joe. of the Russian Civil War. But It's Christ. fine, Joe. Um, but that is part one. Liam, thank you for joining me. Plug Maybe your show. Fuck yourself. <laughs> well, there's your problem. It's a podcast on engineering disasters. Notably, it's Joe Kasabian free. That makes it good. That's not entirely true. I'm on there every once in a while. Yeah, you are. And generally, um, you talk about anti-Semites uh, uh, much less, which is good. Um, I mean, building, it, it's, it's hard for a building to hate Jews. Uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Fuck. Uh, who is the architecture firm for this company? Oh, it's the Ungern von Sternberg uh, group. Oh, shit. Oh, Fuck. This is Mein Kampf and Associates. <laughs> mm, that's not good. That's bad. Uh, anyway, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. You make everything we do possible for some reason. And Sorry about it. <laughs> until next time, uh, I don't know. Don't be nice to the Jews. Be please. nice to the Jews for fuck's sake. For once, please.